Hello, thank you for coming back to another episode of Maverick Messages. I'm Michael Gonzalez, and I'm a senior here at Providence Baptist College. Please listen closely to this message and allow God to speak to your heart. I am Don Osawardi. I was born in Petoskey, Michigan. We have a lot of students here from Petoskey, Michigan. I had nothing to do with that. I never lived in Petoskey, Michigan. I was just born there. But I'm a Michigan native. I left Michigan at age 16 to go to Indiana. I graduated from high school in Indiana. I went to Bible college at Hiles Anderson in Indiana. Right after Bible college, I went to Bourbonnet, Illinois. I was the principal of the Christian school there for a few years back in the 1980s. Yeah. By the way, some of you already know this because you take my classes and I've asked this question, but um, can you tell me who was president when I was born? Who has a guess? Somebody probably knows. I haven't heard it yet. No. Eisenhower is correct. When I was born, Eisenhower was president. Now, about two weeks after I was born, John F. Kennedy was elected president, but he did not become president for another month or two or three But uh, Eisenhower was president when I was born. What else do you need to know? I'm 62 years old. I know I don't look it, but uh, you should look this good when you get to be 62. I think I must have good genetics. I would say that I'm very healthy. I feel very healthy, but my doctor says I have diabetes, I have high blood pressure, I have high cholesterol. And I take a whole bunch of pills for things I'm not even sure what they are, but uh, modern pharmaceuticals are keeping me in great shape. So don't mess with me because I don't think you can keep up with the old man. All right, where was I going with that? So I was a Christian school principal in Bourbonnais for a few years. After that, I went into evangelism in the 1990s for a few years. I was in kind of part-time evangelism. I had my picture in the revival fires in the evangelist directory. That cost me $5 a month back in the day. As an evangelist, I had a chance to take a missionary trip over to the former Soviet Union at about the time that the Soviet Union was breaking up, falling apart, and becoming independent nations like uh, Belarus, Ukraine, and Russia. And while I was over there, God began to work in my heart about being a missionary. And so I surrendered to be a missionary to Russia. I spent 18 years on the field in Ukraine and Russia, and uh, when I see news headlines and I see places that are being bombed and attacked, I've been in most of those places. Last week I saw a headline that uh, the city of Chernigiv had been bombed, and they showed some pictures, and I've been there several times. Went to summer camp there a couple of times in Chernigiv, so anyway. Um, So then I was a missionary for 18 years in Russia, and... In 2014, Russia invaded 
Crimea, which is a southern province of Ukraine. They took it without much of resistance. The world shrugged and said, oh, well, big deal. And uh, some of the countries of the world criticized Russia and said, you shouldn't take Crimea, naughty, naughty. And we're going to put sanctions on you, and we're going to talk very, very severely to you about doing that. And so Russia got mad because the nations of the world were sanctioning. I remember when the sanctions hit, probably the biggest thing, the biggest heartbreak for me of the sanctions in Russia is when I went to the grocery store, I could no longer buy Danish blue cheese, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. You can buy it at Woodman's, and I still do. But when I went into the Russian grocery store and saw that we could no longer, because of the sanctions, buy Danish blue cheese, I thought, wow, this is, this is sad. This is so restrictive. I'm sure that Russians will respond to this very severe backlash against their invasion. So Russia responded to the sanctions by putting into place some more and more restrictive uh, laws against foreigners. They, in 2016, they passed an, an anti-terrorism law and in the anti-terrorist law, there was one paragraph about missionaries. And it said that missionary activity would be restricted. Uh, I picked up on that right away. I read the statute. I talked to some lawyers. And they said, you are probably going to be arrested. But the way the law is written, you are not doing anything that violates the law but you're probably going to be arrested. So in August of 2016, on a Sunday morning, when I was having a church service with about 25 people, three policemen walked into my church service on Sunday morning, told me I was breaking the law, and I had to stop. They showed me their badges, and I said, Gentlemen, I am busy. We are having a church service here. It'll take us about an hour. I'm not going to talk to you right now. If you come back in about an hour, I will talk to you then. If you like, you can stay and watch what we do. You are welcome to join our gathering. Uh, if you like, I will come to your office tomorrow and talk to you as long as you like. But right now, I'm not going to talk to you. Now, the people that were in the church service saw all this, and they were horrified. Most of them had grown up during the soviet era and people just don't talk to policemen like that because if you do you disappear in the middle of the night and nobody ever sees you again and the policemen weren't sure how to react to that because i don't think anybody ever talks to them like that and they just looked at each other and they shrugged and they said okay we'll sit down and listen so they sat down and listened and we did our congregational singing we had um, our memory verse we did our scripture song and uh, then I preached on John the Baptist, which is kind of appropriate because we're going to mention him in our Baptist history soon here. Uh, after the service was over, they blocked the doors and wouldn't let anybody leave. Everybody was interrogated for about an hour and a half. Uh, they asked me all kinds of questions. Uh, where was I born? What did I tell them? I told them I was born in Petoskey, Michigan, in the USA. And... Uh, they asked me what I was doing, and I said, what I'm doing is, is, an op is open. I've never made a secret of it. We are teaching the Bible. We are telling people about Jesus Christ and how they can go to heaven and have their sins forgiven. I tried to give them the gospel, but they were like, no, nah, we're not here to talk about that. After the interrogation, they let everybody go except for my wife and me, and they took us down to the police station. 
telling us that they needed to take our fingerprints. And I asked them, has there been a complaint filed against me? And they said, oh, no, no complaints have been filed against you. We just need to take your fingerprints. So they took us down to the police station. They brought me in behind this big iron door that went clang when they closed it. And uh, they said, it's not exactly the way we explained it earlier. There has been a complaint filed against you, and we are going to file charges against you on illegal missionary activity. So I said, well, you're going to wait a few minutes because I'm going to call my lawyer. Um, first, I called my wife. She was out in the waiting room. I told her, grab all your stuff, get out of the police station immediately, get a taxi, and go home, and don't open the door for anybody. I don't know when or if I'm coming home. So she quick skedaddled out of there and avoided a lot of problems. Um, I called my lawyer. He told me exactly what to say, exactly what to write on the papers. And as soon as I had uh, finished all of that, that took about another couple of hours. This was getting about uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, they said, okay, now you need to come with us. And I said, uh, am I under arrest? And they said, no, no, you're really not under arrest. I said, okay, well, then I am going home. Goodbye. They said, well, you really can't do that. You have to come with us. But I said, but I'm not under arrest, but I have to stay here with you, and I have to go with you. Yes, you have to come with us. So they took me to the courthouse, 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and a judge was waiting in a courtroom for me. This was predetermined and set up ahead of time. They were all set. The, the law that they were charging me with was in the anti-terrorism law, and uh, it had only been passed two weeks before, and I was the first person in the country that they brought charges against under this law. So they uh, had a trial for me. They would not allow me to get my... I said, my lawyers are in Moscow. You're going to have to wait a couple days for my lawyer to come down here, and then we'll have a trial. And they said, no, we're going to have the trial right here, right now. And if you want a lawyer, we'll give you one. If you don't want a lawyer, you can go without so I called my lawyer. They said, well, you better take something because any lawyer is better than no lawyer. So I got a, a local lawyer. And uh, long story short, I was arrested, charged, convicted, and sentenced all in one day for illegal missionary activity. I had to pay a fine of $600. And they told me that if I did anything that could be considered missionary activity, including telling somebody Jesus loves you, if I did that anywhere, anytime, even in my own home, I could be charged with illegal missionary activity, second offense, which would be a $1,000 fine and immediate deportation from the country. They said, you're welcome to stay in the country, but don't say anything to anybody about Jesus or you are going to be kicked out. Well, I talked to my lawyers. We had read the law, and we knew that we had a strong case that the law was unconstitutional. I fought the court. I, I, I appealed the, the conviction. Um, I stayed there for eight months. We took the case all the way to the Supreme Court and the Constitutional Court, the two highest courts in Russia, and they both ruled against me. And so there was no legal option for me to stay and do anything in Russia. So I said, well, okay, go back to America. I came back to America in May of 2017, and almost the very next day I started working at Providence Baptist College and been here ever since. It's been a little over six years now, six years and one summer, 
and I love what I'm doing here. I feel like this is what I was born to do. I said the same thing when I was a school principal. I said the same thing when I was a missionary. I felt like I was born to do those things. The will of God will take you a lot of places you have no idea, but if you just go along and let God do what he wants to do with your life, it will be an adventure. Uh, I have four children. All four of my children went to Providence Baptist College. Um, some of them are members of Northwest Bible Baptist Church. I have four grandchildren in the church. You will see me with my grandchildren at the church. Sometimes they come here. And uh, so I'm in a pretty good spot in my life right now. Probably should mention, I don't usually like to mention this because I don't want to be, I don't want this to be the thing that identifies me, but my wife passed away about three years ago. She got pancreatic cancer after we came back from Russia. And uh, so I am a, uh, I am a bachelor but uh, I'm really not on the market. So no, I don't want to marry your grandmother or anything like that. So don't try to match make me. If I, uh, if I find somebody I'm interested in, I'll take care of that. So we'll get that out of the way. Um, I'm, I have a very, very full, busy, and joyful life uh, with my students and my grandchildren and my children. And uh, life is uh, very, very good right now. I'm at a good spot in my life. And... I like talking about Baptist history. That's called a segue. We just kind of transitioned into the Baptist history. All right, Baptist history very briefly. Why do I say very briefly when we're going to spend about three hours on it today and about three hours on it tomorrow? Because that is a very, very brief time to talk about something as widespread and wide-ranging as Baptist history. Baptist history, you're going to find out, goes back... 2,000 years all the way to Jesus Christ, and when you, while you are here at Providence Baptist College, you will take classes that cover Baptist history in much more detail than I'm going to be able to do today and tomorrow. The purpose of today's session is to give you an overview. So, you know, when you're taking a trip, you, uh, in the old days, when I was a missionary on deputation, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have navigators, GPS, any of that. I don't think students even know what GPS is anymore. It's just, you know, your Google Maps or your Apple Maps or whatever. But we didn't have electronic navigators when I was on deputation and had to travel the country for two and a half years. Uh, we had a Walmart road atlas. Anybody ever seen a Walmart road atlas? Okay, there's probably still some laying around. You've probably seen them, but that's all we had. And what I would do when I was going to take a trip is I would first look at the map of America. All right? I, I just booked a meeting in Paducah, Kentucky. And I don't know where how to get to Paducah, Kentucky. I don't have a smartphone. I can't just say, hey, Google, navigate to Paducah, Kentucky, and it starts talking to me, and I just follow the lady's voice. We didn't have that. So first thing I would do is I'd open the big map that showed the entire United States. It's an overview. And I would say, okay, I'm in Illinois, and I need to get to Kentucky. So here's Illinois. Here's Kentucky. And then I would zoom in and get a little bit closer. I'd go to the page that had the map of Kentucky. And there's indexes and grid lines, markers that'll help you to get to the right part of the map. And eventually, by zooming in and getting more and more detailed, I would find my eventual destination. But the first thing to do is to zoom out. You zoom out the map. You, actually, I like to do that when I, uh, 
even when I use my navigator. I'm, I'm a pretty uh, dedicated user of Google Maps, although Google Maps has deceived me a number of times. Um, I will put in my destination, and usually before I start, I zoom it out. Because I want to have some idea of about where I'm going. Sometimes you can make a mistake. I was trying to get to Sunday morning. I had to pick up a guy in, um, in Streamwood, which is not too far from here. And I put in his address. And if I had just punched go, I would not have noticed that it was trying to take me to that same address somewhere in Delaware. And maybe I would have noticed that the arrival time was, you know, 23 hours or whatever. But uh, I could have just punched in the destination and not looked at the overview. But I almost always hit the little overview button that zooms out and shows you. And I'm like, whoa, that is not Streamwood. So I had to put in the address and add the word Streamwood. And then it, it found the right place. But uh, when I take a long trip, I like to zoom out the map so I can see a view from beginning to end before I get the details of the directions. So if you have an overview of a basic idea of where it starts and where it stops, the same with any subject that you're studying, an overview will help you. You start by getting the general, and then as you continue to study, you get more and more specific and this is the kind of subject that is, uh, is good to study that way. Um, you know, you, can just, you could just set the GPS and just go. And you'll probably get where you're going. But nowadays, you can go all the way from coast to coast, and you'll never have any idea where you are. And when you're done, you won't have any idea where you've been. I want us, as we travel through life, I want us to know where we are. I want us to know where we came from, and I want us to know where we've been, because that will help us to get where we're supposed to go. Um, so I want to give you a very zoomed out view of Baptist history so that you'll be able to form something that is extremely important in your life, and that is called, that is called, okay, hang on a second. We're going to talk about your identity. You want to form something that's very important, and that is your identity. All right, when you came here, if you paid any attention when you first learned about this college, and when you first came on campus, you should have noticed that this is a Baptist college. There's a crest right behind me. Now, by the way, this crest is extremely expensive. It's also a little bit fragile. So don't ever do anything around this crest that could damage it. On this crest, we have a word. What's this word right here? Do we hide that? Did we trick you and not tell you that's what we are? Because we have it on the front of the building. In fact, one time the bee fell down, and I had to get on a big ladder and find another big plastic bee to match it because I wanted to make sure that there was not any confusion that this is a Baptist college. You should have noticed that. Now, does that word, does that word mean anything? Of course it does. What does it mean? It's very closely tied with our identity. Now, identity is an important word. I hope none of you have a secret identity. You don't need any uh, costumed superheroes here. 
Your identity is very important. Who are you? Who are we? Maybe you should ask that question sometime. Who are the Baptists? Who are you? Big question here that you should think about for the next, for today and tomorrow is, are you a Baptist? You say, well, yeah, I guess I was. I grew up in a Baptist family. I went to a Baptist church, and my mom's a Baptist, my dad's a Baptist, my pastor's a Baptist. But what about you? Are you a Baptist? How important is that identity to you? Would you die rather than not be a Baptist? That's a pretty serious question because a lot of people have faced that over the years and a lot of people have died because they are and were Baptists. Now, we're going to learn something about who we are. But uh, who are you? Now, your identity is very important. Your individual identity is very important. When someone says Don Osawardi, that means something. I tell my kids I'm famous, and they say, yeah, right, Dad, okay, we know who you are. But Don Osawardi, that is an identity that means something. It means something to be Don Osawardi. Now, it means something different to be Donald Trump. He has an identity. But his identity is an important one, and who he is is important. Uh Pastor Gomez, Pastor Kavanaugh, they have identities. Who they are is very important. And, I mean, I could look around the room and just pick some people out, and it's, it means something. It means something to be Jake McCleary. Good or bad, I don't know. It means something to be Dominic Balzano. You ought to know what it means to be you. Right? That's your individual identity. What about your family identity? I'm an Osawardi, and that means something. My dad was a school teacher, died last year at age 86, uh, went to his funeral, and all kinds of people came up to me and said, your dad was my teacher back in 1963. And I'm like, wow. And he said, the people that came up to me said, I will never forget the things that your dad taught me. My dad was a high school guidance counselor at a public school. Every senior in that school was required to meet with my dad during their senior year and talk about their future. My dad's job involved giving aptitude tests. He would test their intelligence. He would test their preferences and try to figure out what would be a good career for them. He had information on all kinds of colleges, and he could tell them what college would be a good college for them to go to to prepare for what they would be good to do. And he would recommend career options. But when they came into my dad's office, he always had a Bible on his desk, and my dad said, all right, I've got all your information here. I have your grades. I have your test results. I have all this information about you. And he said, I have information about college programs, and I can tell you how to prepare for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years of your life. But if you want me to, I could tell you how to be prepared for what you'll be doing 100 years from now. 
because it was against the rules of the school for him to bring up God, Jesus, or the Bible. But he said, if you like, we could talk about how you could be ready to do what you're going to be doing 100 years from now. And the student would usually laugh and say, well, I'll probably be dead in 100 years. And he said, exactly. Do you want to talk about that? And time after time, my dad would take out his Bible, he'd give the plan of salvation, and he won lots of students to the Lord. And that means something. That's what an Asawardi is. And my phone just beeped. Seven days. I am going to confiscate this phone and keep it for seven days. <laughs> Silence your phone before you come in chapel. That's a life hack. It's not the first time that's happened here in chapel. But. My family has a reputation and a distinct identity. In fact, my dad was always known as Mr. O in my hometown. Birch Run, Michigan. Small town. Everybody in town knew Mr. O. In fact, he had students who would go to other states and, and live somewhere, and they would take a postcard, and they would write Mr. O 48415 drop it in the mail, it always got to my dad. Because 48415 would get it to the Birch Run Post Office, and everybody at the Birch Run Post Office knew Mr. O and put it in our mail. And I always kind of thought it would be great to be in a small town where everybody knew you, and you knew everybody's family and their kids, and you were respected and, and looked up to and helpful. And I kind of feel like that's where I'm at right now at Northwest Bible Baptist Church. I feel like I'm in a small town, and people know who I am, and I am helpful and respected, and uh, it's just a great thing. And I feel like I have achieved what an Asawardi ought to be, because that's what my dad showed me by his life. Um, <laughs> excuse me. If you are a Kennedy for Massachusetts... I didn't think he even know anything about the Kennedys from Massachusetts, but there was a political family. One of them was president of the United States. Uh, several of them were senators and other things. But if you're a Kennedy from Massachusetts, that's an important part of your identity. Uh, we have a large family in our church here by the name of Essendrop. Many of you know an Essendrop. There's lots of Essendrops around. If you're an Essendrop, you ought to know that what that means and that that is important. Uh, we have raw houses here. Yay. Raw house. The name raw house means something. We have Colvins here. That name means something. All right? So your name ought to be important to you. Brother Petrick has a very good name. His dad has been a pastor for many, many, many years. And now he's a pastor, and his son has taken some classes here. And that Petrick name is part of your identity, and it ought always to be important to you. And you ought always to try to live up to that name. You should study your family and find out what it means to be a member of that family. And all the things about that that are good, you ought to try to live up to. And if your family name has not been a good one, you can make it a good one for all generations to come. How about your identity in relationship to your nation? Most of us are citizens of the United States. We have other students who are citizens of other countries. Uh, we have some here from Mexico. We have some here from Panama. We have had people here from Nepal. 
and uh, many other places in the world. Um, your national citizenship is part of your identity. I don't ever want a Mexican to come here and feel ashamed of being from Mexico. Now, don't come here and try to make us Mexico, but you should be glad that you're a Mexican, and you should know what about that is a good thing and live up to it. Live up to it. Um, Americans have a duty to learn what it means to be an American. This semester, I'm teaching United States history. That's a class that's not required for most of your majors, but uh, it does count as an elective, and some of you people are taking uh, United States history, and I think that's part of your duty to learn what it means to be an American. Uh, since Americans these days, most of them don't study what it means to be an American, it has become less and less important to be an American until finally it won't mean anything at all. President Biden uh, recently was in Korea or somewhere, maybe Japan, and he said, <laughs> and when they slowed the tape down and read his notes, what he said was, I think it's a terrible thing that we should always try to be America first. Well, if the President of the United States does not take it as one of his primary responsibilities to put America first, I mean, that's like his job, then it's not going to mean anything at all to be an American. So you have an identity that is uh, tied up with your, your nation. What about your region? To a small extent, your region that you came from in America ought to mean something to you. I am a Midwestern Northerner. Now, that's not the most important thing to me, but to whatever extent it means something, and I do think it means something, I ought to know about it, and I ought to live up to the expectations that my forefathers have established. It's, if it is important to you that you're from the South, or the East, or Texas, or wherever... That's one thing I really like about Texas. Tex it means something to be a Texan. It's not just, well, yeah, I'm a Texan. I'm from Texas, and that's just another state. No, Texas is not just another state. Texas is a special place, and the people who come from Texas understand that. And I like that. It's part of your identity. Whatever your regional identity is, it's up to you to learn what that means and try to live up to it. What about your identity where it comes to faith? What about the particular branch of faith that you find yourself in? There's all kinds of different religious faiths that people practice. And for most of you, you kind of, you were born and you woke up in a world that for most of you was a Baptist world. And you just kind of grew up not really knowing anything else. And that's what you are because that's what you were born into. You have come to a Baptist college. Do you know what that means? Is being Baptist part of your identity that you would not live without? Or would it be okay with you to just call yourself a Christian? I've heard people say that. I've heard people in Baptist churches say that. Well, it's not so important to me that I'm a Baptist. I mean, I'm a Christian. And really the important thing is that you're a Christian. 
Well, I think it's important to be a Christian, and I think it's a, it is wonderful to be a Christian, but like the kids in the kids' choir sang on Sunday night, for those of you that were here, they sang the song, Oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. And then they stopped and sang, Oh, it is wonderful to be a Baptist. Amen. And I saw two of my grandchildren in that children's choir singing out with all their heart, It is wonderful to be a Baptist. And I want my kids and grandkids to know what that means. Um, The label only means something if it accurately represents the contents of the package. If you have a Baptist label on you, but the contents of your life and character are not distinctively Baptist, then you are mislabeled. Uh, If you do that with a can of soup, you can be charged with a crime. You buy a can and it says chicken soup. You open it up and it's beef soup. You can take that back to the store and make a stink and probably get a uh, basket load of groceries because that is a wrong thing to do to put one label on the outside and have some other content on the inside. If you're not a Baptist, don't bother calling yourself one. If you are a Baptist, find out what that means and live up to it. All right, so how do we establish our identity? Um, We talked about who are we, who are you. Your identity is defined by history. Your personal history, the history of whatever the identity is that we're talking about. Every identity has a history. It means something because of what has been done. You have an individual identity based on what you have done. I mean, we, uh, at the end of the year, we're going to have a spring banquet. And some of you that have done some silly and funny and stupid things throughout the school year will be recognized with an award at the banquet. And uh, we have some some very... uh, interesting and famous uh, students who have done some very amazing things and it does add to what their identity means because of what you do. It's the same thing for your family, your nation, or your region. The identity of those things is established by what has been done. The Baptist identity can be understood by studying what Baptists have done. That is Baptist history. It's also defined by principles. Your identity is defined by what you have done and by what you believe. We'll understand what it means to be a Baptist when we study what Baptists believe. Now, we should have tomorrow at the end, we should have enough time to do a short segment on Baptist distinctives, which is Just a brief list of what Baptists have historically believed. And that is the identity. By what you've done and what you believe, we can know who you are. By what Baptists have done and by what Baptists believe, we can understand what a Baptist is. And by the way, after today and tomorrow, you may come to realize that you aren't really a Baptist. 
Now, I feel sorry for you because I think there's nothing better in the whole wide world than to be an independent, fundamental, old Baptist, old-fashioned, Bible-believing Baptist. I think that's the greatest thing. Uh, You know, I I grew up hearing my pastor say, "If, if I wasn't a Baptist, what would I be? I'd be ashamed. Okay, that's that's the way I grew up, and uh, and I agree with that. I mean, I think there's, I don't think there's a lot of excuse if you have a Bible and you claim to believe it. There's not much excuse for you to be anything else but a Baptist. But if you're not a Baptist, I may be helping you to save some time and money. Because if you're something else, it's okay with us if you go somewhere else to get your training. I don't want somebody to waste their time and risk our reputation by training here when at heart you're non-denominational or Calvinist or contemporary or anything other than a real Baptist. That's what we stand for here. And I don't think any of us put a gun to your head and made you come here. I don't know, maybe your mom and dad did. I wasn't there. I don't know. But um, we have had people graduate from here and turn Calvinist. We've had people graduate from here and turn contemporary. We've even had people graduate from here and become leaders in the atheist movement. I mean, that bothers me. I don't want any of you to be anything but an independent, fundamental, old-fashioned, Bible-believing Baptist. And I hope that we can teach you that that is the scriptural, biblical thing that God wants you to be. And anybody else that wants to be something else, that's up to them. I don't have a big problem with that. I will point out the errors of their ways and try to avoid being what they are. But there's plenty of places where non-Baptists can get an education. There's actually one right next door to us over here at uh, Judson University, named after famous Baptist Adoniram Judson. Judson University is in name only a Baptist college, believe it or not. I hope that you weren't here the other day when they had their opening day. And they put mini-skirted cheerleaders at three entrances along River Road, dancing and waving pom-poms to welcome their new students. I think that was disgraceful. If you want to go to a college like that, you don't have to go very far. But that's not what we are. So where do we begin with Baptist history? Well, we start... We're going to have to start with this guy right here. Any guesses? John the Baptist. He's got leather clothing, camel's hair, leather girdle. That's a belt, by the way. If you look really close at the picture, you can see he has grasshopper legs on his beard because that's what he eats. Locusts and wild honey. Kind of a wild, crazy-looking man who's a man of God. He preached before Jesus revealed himself. (coughs) And he was known as John the Baptist. Why did they call him John the Baptist? 
Well, it had to do with his actions, the things he did. That's his history. We talked about that. Your identity is formed by your history and your beliefs. So he was known as John the Baptist because of his actions. What did he do? That's his history. And he was also known as John the Baptist because of his teachings. That's his principles. That's what he believes, like we talked about a little bit ago. Now, professional historians are going to tell you that it is a joke to try to establish a link between the Baptist of today and John the Baptist. Simple Bible believers who have no knowledge of history might feel very strongly that we are exactly the same kind of Baptist as John the Baptist was, because after all, and I'm going to shift into my hillbilly ignorant accent, bless God, Jesus was Baptist, because he was baptized by John the Baptist, not John the Methodist, amen. Now, there is some truth in that, but if you're going to be well-educated and understand exactly how this works, the truth is somewhere in the middle. John the Baptist was a transitional prophet between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I would argue that he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Some people would place him as, the, uh, the, as a New Testament prophet. He is mentioned in the last chapter, in the last few verses of the Old Testament. And he is mentioned immediately in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel to be written down. So the Old Testament ends by mentioning John the Baptist, who would come and make, make, uh, prepare the way for the Christ. And then in the book of Mark, which was the first of the gospels to be written, he's immediately mentioned. Now, we believe everything that John the Baptist believed. There's nothing that John the Baptist believed that I don't believe. There's some things he practiced that I don't practice. Although Joe Boyd once made me eat a grasshopper because I lost a contest. So I and he called it a he called it a John the Baptist supper. I do like to eat honey. I do not like to eat grasshoppers. Now, we believe everything that John the Baptist believed, but historically, our name, Baptist, did not come directly from him. All right? There is a connection doctrinally. We believe what he believed, but we are not called Baptists because of John the Baptist, okay? Just so we understand that. I like John the Baptist, like him a lot. But what did John believe? About 30 years ago, when I was in evangelism, I wrote a sermon called It's Great to Be a Baptist. I started from the scripture uh, when, the angel, when the angel announced John the Baptist's birth, he said, he shall be great. I thought, well, must be great to be a Baptist. So I wrote a sermon called It's Great to Be a Baptist, where basically I talked about things that John did and believed that were great and that we should do if we're Baptists and it's great to be a Baptist. Um, now, John did not choose the name Baptist. He, the name was given to him because of the things he did, his history, and the things he believed, his principles. The name Baptist was intended as an insult. 
It was a pejorative. Everybody know what a pejorative is? It's an insult. See, now I kind of did a little context thing there to give you a new vocabulary word. It was a pejorative. They said, yeah, a guy is out there in the desert baptizing people. Stinking Baptist. Right? They didn't say, oh, we honor this great man of God. He is baptizing people. And to give him great honor, we will call him the Baptist. No, it was a, it was a pejorative, an insult. It was given to him by people who didn't like him. But the word stuck because it did accurately describe his identity. He was out there baptizing people. And so Baptist was a good word. And so he, uh, he, it stuck to him and he was okay with that. Now we and all other Baptists throughout history did not choose to call ourselves Baptists. The root of our Baptist name is that it was given to us by people who didn't like us because of the things we did and the things we believed. They didn't like our history and they didn't like our principles, so they called us Baptists. And the name stuck and we kind of like it, even though it was intended as derogatory and pejorative. Wow, that was good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maverick Messages.